shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zavallaro and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another great edition of Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Zavallaro, and with me always is my friend, my buddy, my inspiration. You better quit while I'm ahead, Kelly Grayson. <laughs> Kelly, how are you? I'm fine, man. I've, I've been uh, leading the life of the home improvement warrior the last few days. Oh, what are you up to, man? What do you got going uh, on? I mean, you just... you you putting a uh, extra room on a trailer? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, man. We're uh, we're I got the tin and the, and the log sawn and and uh, yeah, we're gonna frame it up and put us <laughs> extra room on a double wide. Uh, <laughs> what is no, the thing you guy. say? Like I always say, um, I always say, let us help contribute to your retirement. What do you? Yeah, how do you say it? Uh, please, please kick into the double wide fund That's right. so I can afford that swanky trailer I've had my eyes on for so many years. Um, no, we're, we're going to be putting in a man cave later in the, uh, later in the spring, but I've just been doing some stuff, getting, clearing out the, uh, the area for it and, and moving some of my tearing down one shed and moving to another. And it's just a pain in the butt. I'm not a carpenter and i don't like being one but uh that's just that's one of those things i'm i'm gonna have to go through now that i'm a homeowner it is man you gotta make sure that you take care of that property because that property is going to take care of you one day yeah so kelly you know we got some things to talk about man so yeah. one of the things that i i want to go ahead and shoot to you to start the conversation is uh in a past show we had a discussion about a couple of firefighters who claim that a a uh, decal police officer uh, swore at them and uh, to exonerate himself he was wearing a body camera and you and i had some interaction with this on your facebook page so i'm mm-hmm. gonna let you set it up and let's go ahead and talk about it and uh, again let's start the discussion about body cameras on ems people yeah and and man i'm gonna i'm go ahead and mark your calendar because i'm going to agree with you about something you were in favor of of cameras and ambulances and no, i still stop. think it's wait a minute I'm, I'm a little i'm woozy i'm woozy and lightheaded here <laughs> i don't know that i could go on with the yeah, show give me a second uh, please bring yeah. me some water can i get some water <laughs> splash it on him but but don't hit the computer That's um right. Yeah, I, I still think it's an area rife for abuse and, and that meddling managers will want to turn on cameras and ambulances and, and play Mother May I Look Over Your Shoulder kind of stuff. But but I can't dispute uh, the the benefit of having a body camera uh, to to protect ourselves against allegations. And, and that's what happened in this case. Uh, a, a Stone Mountain police officer uh, pulled over a DeKalb County fire captain um, for a uh, expired tag at a local school, and uh, Officer Floyd pulled uh, Terrell Davis over, and uh, the upshot of the story is is that uh, Captain Davis said that uh, um, the police officer, uh, Officer Floyd, um, cursed at him, was belligerent, uh, abusive. Uh, he called, uh, the fire captain called one of his coworkers, uh, on the phone and she went over there and, and inserted herself into the scene and was summarily ordered to step aside. Um, and they both made, uh, some pretty serious allegations of misconduct toward his fire captain, I mean, toward this, uh, police officer, uh, officer Floyd, uh, and they released the body cam footage and, uh, turns out that, uh, Captain Davis and, uh, and uh, his coworker Crystal Cathcart are great big lying liars. 
<laughs> and they were disciplined for this. Uh, um, Davis was uh, was fired, uh, and uh, Cathcart was was disciplined, and deservedly so, because they uh, made false sworn statements uh, and basically being douchebags on uh, on camera. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that you know when you look at this is this is you know we're constantly asking for the body camera footage when we think our police officers are doing wrong. And, mm-hmm. you know, now th- this is to show that they're doing their jobs as well. And, yeah. you know, we've talked about it before, Kelly, the, the Ferguson effect. And since the, you know, the summer of 2014, more and more police officers are afraid to do their jobs because of the fear of becoming the next big YouTube sensation. But here, yeah. you know, this was something that came out in the normal process. How easily would it have been to put this video out the same day? But they did their due diligence. Yeah. They went and said, we need to make this go away. And, you know, they went through this process to find out that people were lying. And, um, you know, I say that work was advertised. And I think we now have to start thinking about protecting our, our folks. And I got to tell you, man, and I wrote this on the mm-hmm. Facebook page. I get calls all the time of people accusing our professionals of unprofessional behavior, whether it's rude, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, not having an act of uh, uh, not having a sense of urgency, whatever it is. And, and you know, you you want to be able to sympathize and you want to be able to empathize and you want to be able to get some resolve for the people who are complaining. And when you talk to your folks, you certainly you you certainly know their personalities and know what they're yeah. capable of. And and sometimes you hear this person was just rude, and you think about that person, you say, "There's just no way that this person was ever rude." And yeah. uh, but like I said, it'd be good to have the footage. Yep, the video tells all, and there's no there's no he said she said when it's all captured on video. And and uh, to Officer Floyd's benefit, thankfully he uh, the the video exonerated him. And you know, and I think that's there. There are so many allegations against misconduct uh, by police officers out there in the media, uh, and, and I, they are zebras. Those kind of things that make it onto uh, to video uh, are outnumbered thousands to one by interactions that that show the police officers behaving professionally uh, and and taking some pretty serious abuse and remaining professional and and dispassionate about it, which is what uh, Stephen Floyd did. Um, You know, and and Chief uh, Darnell Fulham of the DeKalb County Fire Department um, was says he was stunned when he saw the report on uh, the traffic stop involving his his two employees and and was dismayed at their uh, at their conduct. Yeah, and I think another lesson that can be drawn here is if you're gonna if you're gonna call on the public safety brotherhood to uh, to get you out of a ticket and use it as your your misdemeanor credit card, uh, it helps to be polite and respectful and not name drop the uh, the boss of your of the public safety director in the county uh, as if he's some big stick to wield and and uh, uh, a weapon to use against the officer that pulled you over. I don't think Doctor Alexander was probably very thrilled to see his name used in such a manner uh, and that probably didn't go over well for uh captain davis uh either so chris if one of your guys uh had been pulled over by the police and uh 
you know, they said, well, hey, do you know who my boss is? Do I need to call Chris Ciballero? <laughs> Would you be very appreciative of, of that sort of thing? Well, I got to tell you, I mean, I've always told the people that I'm there to support them 100%. And if they ever needed to yeah. certainly uh, get my counsel or get me out to the field to help support their position, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to support their position. But certainly there's going to be a discussion if it's something that comes off this way. Uh, you know, that's not what my reputation is for, is to get you out of stupid trouble uh i'm there yeah. to support you as a team member i'm there to give you what you need but let me go ahead and ask you this question kelly i want to give it give a little transition here okay. and i know that we got another story that we're going to talk about uh, from the ems side where a body camera became educational but let's think about this logistically so you and i have gone back and forth about the wear of body camera yes and no and big brother watching and so on and so forth mm-hmm. you and i now have the opportunity to set a standard for how these body cameras are going to be worn. How do we ensure that the people that are working within direct patient care and the use of body cameras are not causing challenges for patients or patients' families? Um, uh, well, you're starting off good. That's a great way to start off. Um, uh, yeah, uh, that's an excellent question. I, I think one of the, the biggest obstacles is going to be storage of, of data and, and uh, HIPAA compliance and what kind of safeguards we build into our, our policies and procedures and guidelines in using these body cameras uh, and how they will protect the patient's privacy. Um, of course, uh, recording rules also come into play. Um, generally, you know, we're going inside of patients' homes um, and uh, there's an expectation of privacy in the home. Uh, so whether whether your state has has uh, one or two party consent laws for for recording or, or whether that's a, a privacy issue uh, are things that need to be ironed out. Um, and as one guy uh, one one guy in that comment thread on Facebook said that uh, that uh, the the data storage issue is not that big a deal now. Yeah. Um, that uh, storage solutions are are much smaller and and uh, much more affordable than they once were. Uh, so keeping those, uh, keeping those records, uh, to pull up at, at any point where we need them, uh, shouldn't be all that financially prohibitive. There's a, there's a whole lot of, uh, groundwork to be laid before we can think about body cameras as a, uh, a matter of course on every EMS personnel, my opinion. So let me ask you this though. I mean, you're talking about HIPAA and this is one of the things that I don't understand. And, and maybe you have a little bit of insight for me. We now have HIPAA information that we have on our servers that we mm-hmm. keep. We have demographics. We've got a medical history. We've got all the things that HIPAA would love to find us for if we let out. How is this any different? How is taking a video of the call any different than having somebody's electronic patient care record on our servers? I I don't think it is. What what I'm saying is 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 there have to be adequate safeguards uh, as far as data security um, for that sort of thing. Um, who can access those videos? How those videos would be used, so on and so forth. I, I don't think the the mere act of recording is a HIPAA uh, HIPAA compliance or or non HIPAA compliant uh, problem. Um, you go to major medical centers and their trauma and resuscitation rooms have video. Uh, 
I, I highly doubt that that a hospital's uh, risk management people and and their compliance people would be uh, um, so blasé about recording if they didn't have those safeguards uh, as far as HIPAA compliance and data security uh, already built in. Um, I'm saying that you can't set up a, a body you can't just issue body cameras to all your people uh, and then store it on a server somewhere and have that be it you, you've got to put a little more thought into the uh, implementation than that you know let, let's 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 face it how often do we do we see in EMS people um, enacting protocols, policies, and procedures uh, with no regard to the legality or the workability of the problem? Mm-hmm. That's a common problem in our profession. Well, let's go ahead and transition. We've got another story to kind of piggyback on this. And Kelly, yeah. I'm going to give you the floor and uh, lay it out for us. Yeah, we've got a uh, – um, uh, this is a, a video that's kind of gone viral from uh, I think it's Cable County, West Virginia. Um Chad Ward, the EMS supervisor, uh, arrived on scene, uh, and a 26-year-old patient was uh, there unresponsive uh, from a heroin overdose. And uh, uh, Supervisor Ward was wearing his body camera and caught the entire call on video. And it makes it for some for some pretty compelling uh, viewing. If you've never seen a heroin overdose and never seen someone with profound respiratory depression, uh, this is a pretty good example of it. This guy is somnolent, barely breathing, pretty darn cyanotic, uh, and in just a few minutes, uh, Narcan brings him around, and, and he's awake and responding and says, oh, yeah, I did take, uh, take some heroin. Um, and this is uh, pretty educational if you don't run many heroin overdoses. Now you see what one looks like. Um, I would also play this right. to to people who who use and abuse narcotics and go like, dude, this is you, this is your your uh, this is what you do or this is how you look to uh, to the rest of the world. Right. And um, you know he he makes the point to uh, to the patient whose name is Joey in the in the video. He says, dude, you know, in, in five minutes. Five more minutes, you'd be dead. We'd right. be we'd be trying to uh, resuscitate you and, and probably not succeeding. Um, and hopefully he he will learn a lesson from that and seek help for his addiction. But uh, it's pretty good viewing, man. It's it's something that uh, every EMT should see. Yeah, and I think that you're right. You know, and I think that this is uh, an opportunity for you know. And I when I saw this, what my first thought was is how could this be beneficial to the future of EMS education? And we do a lot of scenario based and we do a lot of role playing and we do a lot, not the role playing you're thinking of Kelly. And we do a lot of classroom <laughs> learning. To be the pool boy you this better, time, you better stop it. You better stop it. <laughs> but can you imagine now? And we talked about, you know, a little bit, we just talked about keeping our employees safe. But can you imagine the educational tool that we could put together with an actual patient based on body camera, um, you know, body camera video? Now, of course, you've got to make yeah. sure that you get consents. You've got to make sure that. But how many people, and, and we see it all the time, at least I've seen it all the time. Anytime we've wanted to use a patient's call for education, I don't know that I've ever had a patient say no to me when we, I've gone to seek that, uh, seek that approval. 
So, yeah. but can you imagine now taking a call like this and putting it into a online component where you can say, how do you treat the patient next? And then pause it and then allow them to treat. And then let's see how the treatment affects the patient. And I think that there are just so many opportunities when it comes to this, not only the safety of our own people when they're on scene of false accusations, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, complaints that they're not giving good care, they've been, di- whatever that is. But now yeah. for the educational component, it, not only within your organization, but mm. within the career field. Well, yeah, you know, and, and I have already started, uh, I've already inserted this video into uh, one of my naloxone presentations. Uh, it's it's already there and, and ready to go. Um, I've got a refresher coming up and uh, coming up in a couple of weeks and a, a mandated uh, naloxone administration, state mandated naloxone administration lecture. And uh, a lot of these guys don't see uh, that many heroin overdoses. Uh, they're, they're part-timers or they're volunteers and, and don't get to see it that often. So yes, it's uh, I've already uh, made use of the video and, and man, the, this first person perspective, uh, uh, video makes it uh, is a pretty powerful learning tool. You know, it's uh, it's not quite uh, live training, but it's uh, it's almost as good as being there. It beats the heck out of a PowerPoint and, and a dry lecture. You know, Kelly, I gotta say, I think that this is a great topic. And any time that you get to agree with me, you know, this is uh, my. I think this was the <laughs> the the cherry on my cake today. So thank you very much for that. But let's go ahead. And one of the things I want to do is I want to transition a little bit. So one of the things that we try to do is we try to answer questions from the the listeners as they, um, you know, they send us questions. And one of the things that we got from a show a couple of weeks ago is you and I were talking about is a time that we need to arm our arm our providers. And of course, you and I have, you know, the same feeling about that uh, wearing, a, a, you know, that being armed and being able to defend ourselves in the back of the ambulance or, or, you know, the first time that we take a life when we're supposed to be saving a life, how is that going to affect? But we got a question that comes from Mark Hammond, who's, uh, you know, a friend of mine out of Fort Worth, Texas, and he listens to the show and he talks about how great I am and how much you suck at this. Actually, he doesn't, oh, but course. I read this between the line. It says, <laughs> I really enjoy your show. Um so, but uh, I just added that in for now. But so, but but the thought that that Mark has is, um, you know, he he understands. Just wanted to get your opinion from you and possibly Kelly on the arming of EMS providers for possible less lethal options: taser, pepper spray. The reason he sends that is he used to work at MedStar, and now he's working a little bit in a in a place that's a little bit further away, where you're not going to get the the city response, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to the to those ambulance calls. So do you think about less lethal? Do you think about pepper spray? Do you think about taser? Do you think about, you know, a six cell mag light? I mean, so when we think about trying to protect, I mean, where do you stand on the less lethal? I, I think less lethal is a viable option. Um, uh, tasers, uh, possibly, um, pepper spray in the back of an ambulance module is probably not a real good idea. Um, you know, and, as far as arming providers, you know, I, I said it in, in past uh, episodes of the podcast. Uh, I, I will stand in no man's way if that's the if they choose to employ uh, uh, carrying a concealed weapon as a legal means of self defense. It's just not a choice on the ambulance. I'm going to make myself. Uh, and uh, speaking to uh, 
to a couple of EMT and law enforcement uh, types, uh, some good friends of mine, they pointed out very correctly that that in the close confines of a back of an ambulance, um, when if you're wearing a concealed weapon or if you're wearing a weapon at all, uh, you don't have a weapon. We have a weapon, meaning mm-hmm. you and the patient, unless That's you've right. got some pretty specific training uh, and a lot of practice in weapons retention. Right. Um, we have a weapon, not you have a That was a, weapon. a great point right there. Weapons retention, I mean, that is something that is taught um, very, very... To police officers, ex- but very little to, to civilians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, when, when I thought about this question, I, I kind of had the same feeling. And, and I go back to me wearing a can of pepper spray on my hip, and uh, I'm in somebody's home. Again, I'm not going to discharge it in the back of the ambulance. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. We get these patients that have been exposed in the back of the oh, ambulance, and, and you know, we, we, we feel it even then. Can you imagine exploding that thing in the back of that ambulance? Yeah. But even to this point, if you are in somebody's home and they try to attack you or they're getting belligerent, you almost have to pull that can out and hold it in your hand as self-defense right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. because I'm not going to have time now to reach for my side, unsnap the thing, pull it out, shake it, do whatever it is you got to do and spray it in somebody's face before they're on top of me and, and trying to, uh, you know, break an old man's hip. So, but I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's a viable option. H- how do you deploy yeah. it? How would you use it? Same thing with a taser. Now, now if we could taser like in our ring, like they have in the movie Kingsman, where you could just zap mm-hmm. somebody, I think that's an interesting thing. But yeah. if you got to take a taser out, or if you got to take something off your hip, when you're trying to deliver the highest quality of patient care, are you able to do that effectively? And I got to say, I yeah. think the answer is no. And if I'm going to go to a less lethal route of arming our providers, I want to arm them with kit. T sorts uh, escaping violent encounters class exactly and and that's the thing these are you're effectively planning for the never event uh, it's not to say that it never happens um, but it's one of those things that that uh, is an anomaly uh, and the reason that you carry a concealed weapon or, or the reason you carry a weapon at all is because even though that anomaly may be a one in a million chance you don't want to be the one. Uh, that doesn't have some means to defend yourself when it happens. Uh, it's it's almost never going to happen, but you don't want to be uh, defenseless when that time, when or if that time comes. Uh, as the old the guy said, you know, uh, someone asked him, well, "Why do you carry a weapon? Are you expecting trouble?" He said, "No. If I was expecting trouble, I'd have my rifle. Uh, I carry a handgun because I'm not expecting trouble." Right. Um, and the thing is, is we could avoid the vast majority of the violent episodes against providers if we just took Kip's advice. Um, first of all, uh, the fact that someone goes ballistic in the back of your ambulance uh, should tell you that there was something wrong with your uh, assessment of the patient and the situation and, and what's going on with him. I don't if, know. I if, don't know about Yeah, that, in the back of your me. ambulance, in the back of your ambulance, if someone has gotten into the back of your ambulance and the first clue is that uh, or if, if you have loaded someone into the back of your ambulance and once they're in there and the doors are shut, your first clue that they're violent is when they strike out at you, you most likely have missed something. I'm not saying it can't happen, and I'm not saying that, uh, that you know, people that, that have been in those situations uh, were negligent or, or lazy and didn't assess their patients properly, but I would, I would venture to say that nine times out of ten, there were clues well before you loaded the patient in the back of your ambulance. Uh, 
the other thing is, as, as Kip points out, is that the vast majority of violence against EMS providers happens when we try to take people into custody. Right. And we take people against their will because they happen to be drunk or they happen to be a, a psychiatric patient or they happen to be uh, intoxicated or high. Um, and we find ourselves playing a role that we were not trained or, or meant to play. Right. And that's taking custody of someone. Well, we're not and taking custody, though. Is, we're not taking custody as much as, the, as much as the officers don't want to do their job and take people with non-medical emergencies to, to the hospital or take them to jail. We shouldn't yeah. be transporting these people in the first place. You're, you're correct in that. But, but the, the other thing being is that even, even when the patient does have a medical issue and needs medical monitoring and, and transported on a stretcher in the back of an ambulance, if they're violent, they need to be restrained before they ever get in the back of your rig. Uh, and they need to have a police officer uh, accompanying them if they're handcuffed or if not uh, with metal handcuffs, uh, be put in flex cuffs that you can cut through if need be with your trauma shears. Um, that's a policy in our agency. If we have a handcuffed patient, uh, the patient stays handcuffed throughout the call and the officer accompanies us in the back of the ambulance yeah, because we that. don't have specific training in, in, in handcuff uh, and, and patient restraint. Right. So, you know, do you think uh, we should, Kelly? Do you think we should? Do you think? Do you yes, think that all yeah, providers so. should know about four point restraints or how to use them or when to use them? And and you know, this is a big issue. We just think that well, we could that we could and, take some. We think we could just take cravats out of them and go and open up some cravats. And I, I've tied a lot of people down, man, in the back of my ambulances yeah. in the day, and uh, it was wrong. And uh, but we, we're not even taught that. We're not even taught that to, to how to do that best. But should we be trained in how to use restraints in the back of the ambulance? Most definitely, we should. And, and so why aren't we? The things I don't know. I, I really don't know. And that's I don't know if it's something that that EMS education programs uh, kind of turf off onto the preceptors and and the patients first partners. And here's how to show you the ropes of how to do it in the field, rather than than graduate them prepared to do that sort of thing, uh, or. If it's uh, if it's just a, a hole in the educational program altogether, and and no one ever thought of it, I think that not only do we need to teach how to use uh, four point restraints in, in EMT class, we also need to teach how to use handcuffs. There are a number of EMS systems out there that where their providers carry handcuffs and are trained how to use them. Uh, I can uh, Hennepin County Medical are you, Center. Are you kidding me? No. Hennepin County, Minneapolis, hmm. their medics carry handcuffs, and not only do they carry handcuffs for emotionally disturbed patients and, and, and uh, people that, that require restraint, they are taught how to uh, use those handcuffs, how to apply them and double lock them and monitor and, and so on and so forth by the same people that teach the police officers and cadets in the police academy. Hmm. It's part Very of their training. Interesting, uh, interesting. Integrated right in, and and they learn the exact same handcuff techniques that police officers learn, which is as it should be. And it's really not an unworkable problem. How hard it would it be to have you know a, a guest speaker come in and say, okay, here's how you uh, handcuff someone if the need should arise. Do you know anybody uh, up there? Can we get somebody on a show and talk sure, about their practice? Most definitely. Well, we'll I'd be have, interested. Uh, I mean, I'd be interested. And I'm sure people out there would be interested to know the, uh, you know, when when they should use them, you know, their process, what they think. Uh, I think it'd be interesting to get somebody out, uh, on the show and uh, kind of discuss that because I hadn't heard that. So very interesting. Okay. Yep. I've I've got just the guy. We'll get him on, but. Uh, 
I don't think uh, Hennepin County Medical Center EMS is the only agency out there. Uh, so we'd like to hear from you guys. Uh, in your EMS agency, do, do you use handcuffs or, or some type of formal restraint system? And if so, how are you trained to use it? Contact us. We'd like to hear your other comments, concerns, and questions. So email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sevalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.